reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 8, and it can be found on page 1222. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for the sins. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Morning. Morning, Morning, I'm Colin. Great to have you with us. And um, I just want to say a special thank you to Helen, who at the very last minute was asked to song lead so that Aaron Warner can be thrown out of a plane. <laughs> so he's, Aaron's 21 recently, and his best mate Johnny um, booked some surprise skydiving. And this morning was the only time they could do it. So pray he survives. <laughs> but thank you, Helen. Thank you. Um, when, when Sharon and I, I'm married to Sharon, who just read the Bible, when, when we were first dating, um, my friends and I used to frequent a nightclub in city centre Manchester. It's called Fifth Avenue. And we loved it, me and my mates, because it played all the really cool indie guitar-based music that we loved to dance to. Sharon hated it because it played all the really cool indie, indie guitar-based music that we loved to dance to. Now, nightclubs in city centre Manchester can be pretty scary places, especially when you're 17 with fake ID. <laughs> but there was one really cool thing about my new girlfriend. Well, there was lots of cool things. One really cool thing was that she was a glass collector at Fifth Avenue. It was great. I'd get my name down on the guest list, uh, and all the security staff knew who I was, and the, the manager would know my name. 
And suddenly, I felt way more bold and confident in this scary nightclub because I was no longer just a random punter, but I was in there with the owner's team. Uh, today, we're thinking about being bold in mission as we continue looking at discipleship. And we're going to look at what that mission is. So we'll define that first of all for, for a little while. I'm um, just looking at the Gospels. Like that, that is what our Christians trying to do with life. What is our agenda? You know, what is our reason for being as a church? So we'll define our mission. And then we'll look at how we can be bold in that mission. Because we're on the owner's team. So first of all, let's get into, there's an outline in your leaflets. Um, so this first bit, uh, the, all the verses will be on the screen. We're going to just do a whistle-top stop tour through the Gospels. So keep your Bibles open in 1 Peter 3, and the rest will be on the screen, okay? So first, what is our mission? So we'll look at these four biographies of Jesus, the Gospels, to tell us what do they tell us, to look at what they tell us about God's plans for humanity in the world. Because if we can find out that, then we can get on board with God's plan, and that will tell us as Christians what our mission we're on. And if you're not a Christian, if you're just exploring Jesus, I hope this will help you see what is important to Christians, what it is that makes us tick, and why we're always trying to get other people to join in with us. So each of these gospel biographies of Jesus tell us something about him. So let's have a look at John's gospel first. Um, and he tells us right near the start of his gospel, when Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, sees him, he says this, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so God's plan so far is his mission is centered on Jesus and on him taking away our sin, taking away our offensive rebellion against God and the punishment that that rightly deserves. And then later on in his gospel, John tells us exactly what he wants us to take away from his gospel. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So God's mission and our mission is about what Jesus has done for people and to believe in him, to have life, that is eternal life. So that's John's gospel. Now let's look at Mark's gospel. And Jesus' very first recorded words in this gospel are, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus says, in him, God's kingdom, so that's God's rule over people and creation, is breaking in in a new way. And the right response is to repent. So that is to turn away from living for ourselves and turn to trusting in Jesus to save us and live for him. And God's plan is that we believe good news. So what's the good news? Later in Mark's gospel, we read, and we often say this during communion, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the good news that we do not have to try and save ourselves, pay off our own debt of sin, that Jesus came to die to pay the price for us so we can be restored into right relationship with God. 
Okay, so that's all good. We know God's plan. His mission is to take away our sins through his son Jesus and that we can opt into this rescue, receive this gift for free when we repent, turn around to follow Jesus and enjoy peace with God. So what's our power as Christians in in God's mission other than to believe in Jesus and turn to him in repentance? Well, let's have a look at the end of Luke's gospel now. Thanks, so. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So repentance and forgiveness of sins through Jesus is to be preached. So taught to to people so that they hear, they're convinced and believe. And that's to be done to the whole world by anyone who knows about it. First the apostles and now us. And then similarly in Matthew's gospel, so I've looked at all the gospels, um, Jesus commissions his disciples and so by extension us with these words. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, so I've downloaded heaps of verses on you there. um, But do you get the gist of God's God's plan and therefore our mission? Because we don't want to go off on the wrong mission. It's all about sharing who Jesus is and what he's done And calling people to repent and believe in him so that they may have life. That's our mission. And here's what's at stake from John chapter 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. So our mission isn't. A load of do's and don'ts or heaps of good works. Our mission isn't to combat the effects of sin, although those are good things to do. No, the most urgent need of any human is to be saved from the wrath of God. That's a scary word, wrath, isn't it? Um, It doesn't mean, we tend to think of it as meaning the temper. It doesn't mean that. Um, God's wrath is God's right and good settled opposition to sin his refusal to compromise on sin because sin is dark and destructive wrong and hateful sin is the the bias of our heart towards saving ourselves, towards idolatry and sin justly deserves god's wrath So God's mission is gathering to himself a people through repentance and faith in Jesus to be saved from his wrath, to be saved from getting what we deserve. And it's through us, his church, Jesus' disciples, going out to share the good news that he's fulfilling that mission in the here and now. The thing is, it's pretty scary, isn't it, to share Jesus And as our culture and our society becomes more and more secular, it feels like it's getting scarier. And the church 
has moved um, from being popular um, to being seen as kind of quirky but irrelevant. And now we're seeing more and more as dangerous and even evil. And our culture makes it even harder, especially to a, a well-mannered Englishman like myself, because religion is one of those things that's considered private. That's one of the things you only talk about in private. So how can we be bold in our mission? Well, first of all, we're going to get into this um, passage on 1 Peter 3, this 1 Peter 3 passage now. First thing we need to do is do a fear swap, our first point. We need to swap our fear of people with a fear of God. Swap a fear of people with a fear of God. So one of the main reasons we fail to be bold in mission is because we're afraid of what people think of us. And it's frightening to share Jesus with our friends because it might affect or even end that friendship. It can be frightening to share Jesus with strangers because they might think we're weird or they might be really anti-God in our face. I even found myself the other day writing Christmas cards, thinking twice about sending a particular person a really Christian Christmas card. Why would I want to withhold from that person the best news in history from, from them? It's fear. So let's pick up our passage at verse 10. And Peter goes into what it, that, those next few verses are a quote from Psalm 34. And what this is, this, this bit of this psalm, is what it looks like to fear God. Because uh, the verse in Psalm 34, if you were to look at it, I'll put it on the screen for you. Thanks, so. The verse in Psalm 34, just before this quote, is this. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So this is a kind of a let me teach you how to fear God kind of psalm. Fearing God. So that's worrying about what God thinks instead of what people think. Being concerned not to disappoint God rather than not disappointing people. Putting being on God, good terms with God above being on good terms with people. So the idea of, of Psalm 34 is, is kind of, you know, if you've got a, my iPad says um, storage is full. Um, you need to get rid of some stuff. So, or you've got a plate and it's filled up. And I think we kind of we all have fears. The idea is that you fill that sort of fear quota with fear of God, and your other fears fall off the plate. And um, so, in Psalm thirty-four, verse four, I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. That's what we need, delivering from our fears. And as we keep growing in our understanding of what pleases God, what his priorities are, what his mission is, and using that as our measure of whether things are okay, we'll be less fearful of what people think. So back in the 1 Peter 3 passage, uh, when that is our outlook, any rejection or opposition we face is, verse 14, Suffering for what is right. And so it's a blessing. It's worth it to be going along with God's mission. So how can we build up in ourselves this fear of God? 
Verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So a lot of our fear comes from fear of us losing something we value or revere. So if we revere our work or our family too much, uh, anything that might threaten our standing in them will be afraid of. If we revere our popularity or our friendships too much, we'll never let Jesus compromise them. As you invite, invite your friends and your family and colleagues to carols and to Christmas services, revere Christ in your hearts. As you stop flying under the radar at work or school or uni as a Christian and come out, revere Christ in your heart. So be bold in mission by fearing God more. And I don't want to sugarcoat it. Um, your fears of people and their reactions to that might be well founded. You might well suffer for it, for being bold. But when you do, you are blessed. So next, be prepared to give an answer. Looking at verse 15 again. So sometimes we're less bold than we could be in mission. Because we might think, well, that's just not my job. You know, surely proclaiming the gospel and getting into deep debates about things, that's for the experts, isn't it? Isn't that why they send people like me to Bible college? Well, Peter is writing this letter to a whole church, not just its pastors and its teachers. And there are people who are especially gifted at evangelism and teaching the Bible. But that being so, doesn't let the rest of us off the hook. Now, does that mean we should go around preaching every day? Well, no. No one would, no one would like you at work or school or uni if you did that all the time, would you? If you got preachy all the time. That would be wrong. It's not what you're there for. But when the opportunity does arise, when the conversation turns that way, we should be ready. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So not to argue, but to give an answer. Give the reason for your hope in Jesus. Uh, this happened to me, I went, some of you know, I went back to the UK to attend my friend's wedding. And this kind of thing's easy for me now, because people just say, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor, and that's it, you get straight into a God conversation. I appreciate it's much harder when you're in secular work. But I was having a, a good, it started off as a good talk with this bloke, and uh, explaining why I trusted Jesus in Jesus, and, and talked about suffering, and why that doesn't disprove God's existence. And it was going all right, but it was getting more and more into being an argument rather than a conversation. And I realized it was time to just give up when he said, I see, I've won. I was like, how can you win a conversation? I, don't, I, didn't, well, I didn't know we were in a competition, I said to him. So Peter isn't telling us to be a doormat, to just let people scoff at you and take the mickey out of you for fun. But he is telling us to be ready to tell people our own story. And no one can take that away from you. 
people can't tell you that you are not you. And very often people are actually interested in why you've got such a different worldview and why you believe such a remarkable thing that Jesus, the man, was God and that he died and rose again. No one can take your story away from you. There's a great example of this in Luke 9, if you look it up later, of the blind man Jesus heals. And the Pharisees are furious with him and they're furious with Jesus. But they can't argue with him. He just says to them, look, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. If you want answers, you better go and talk to Jesus. In terms of being prepared to give an answer, we can, we can keep reading and listening to stuff that helps us to reason with people. You know, get f- familiar with the um, reasoning with um, kind of defeater beliefs, we call them. And you call this apologetics, giving reason for your belief in God. So there's books like The Reason for God by Tim Keller as a good starting point. But let me say, be careful not to take that too far. Because what people need to put their trust in Who they need to put the trust in is Jesus, not a clever argument or logical reason. Um, The the place of that kind of apologetic argument is to help people see the reasonableness of considering Jesus and the unreasonableness of belief to give Jesus a hearing. Apologetics are part of doing your best to get a hearing. Our next point. Doing your best to get Jesus a hearing. You know what drives me mad on the telly is those commercials where it's obviously sort of an international commercial, a generic one, and the local country is supposed to just stick their own voice in it. You know, and it's usually like Gillette or sort of like that Google um, home advert. And, you know, they say, these Gillette razors are really great. And like, the, I mean, bother to get the dubbing right, you know. And I think, no, I'm not buying your product because you can't even be bothered to make an Australian commercial for me. You've not invested in me, why should I invest in you? You've shown me no respect. They're not gonna get a hearing from me. And you're gonna misrepresent Jesus and not get him a hearing if you present him badly. When we do get, get the chance to give answers, we must, verse 15, Do this with gentleness and respect. So the way we um, try and set up our church services, the way we explain things as we go along and we have a service leader and try and do things in plain English, that's because we want the only barrier people come up against here, the only thing that might offend them, to be the gospel. And it should be the same in our conversations either in person and especially, I think, on social media. We should be so gentle and respectful. We should conduct ourselves so well that whatever bad things people say about us are not true, that they're slander. But how how can we stay gentle and respectful in the face of people who are just sometimes plain nasty? And just want to wind us up. Well, that word respect, with gentleness and respect, is actually literally fear. Gentleness and fear, again. But not fear of people, fear of God. 
And it's helpful to bear in mind um, that people can't help being malicious and slanderous. So let's just have a quick, I didn't bring my Bible up. If you have a quick look at, just flick to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, have a look. Everyone can find that easily. One one five nine. I've got it here. Thank you. And verse four. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So everyone is personally responsible for how they respond to Jesus, but Satan has made it impossible to get the gospel without God's intervention. So just jump down to verse 6 now. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So God can make, God who can make something out of nothing can bring light to the darkest, most opposed heart. So if that's the case, people can't, understand get the gospel without god does that mean we have no part to play well no if we look at the connecting verse in between for what we preach is not ourselves but jesus christ as lord and ourselves as your servants for jesus sake we preach so because god does the converting and because he chooses to do so relationally through us we are to proclaim christ so the fact that God changes hearts is the reason for us to, to share the gospel, not to not share the gospel. We can be bold in mission because it is God's message, not our own, that we proclaim. Because we can be confident that God will bring it home to people's hearts. Uh, and we can take comfort that when people reject Jesus, that it's actually the normal default in the world without God's intervention and not because we're lacking in some way. Another conversation I had at that wedding I was at, it was towards the end, so he was a bit pickled, this bloke, but he said to me, I'd love, I'd love to, no, I won't do an impression. I'd love to have just 20 minutes with you and I could set you straight on all this Jesus nonsense so you can get on with your life. So I humoured him, I said, how? And he muttered something about particle physics and science. And I explained how the, the pattern and orderliness of science points me to God. And I tried to do that gently and respectfully. But underneath I was thinking, you patronising fool. <laughs> you reckon you can change my reason for being in 20 minutes? So I think basically he thought I must have been unintelligent. To have faith. Unreasonable. But to put up with people thinking like that about us. To put up with being marginalised. Being accused of things we're not. Like being hateful or bigoted. Or stupid. We need to know that suffering like this. Isn't always a bad thing. And we know this because of the example and the message of Jesus. That next point, the example and the message of Jesus. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good 
than for doing evil. And then verse 18 is a great verse to memorize, to be prepared to give an answer. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So if you can remember that verse and talk, that a great framework for explaining the gospel. So Jesus' example for us is going the way of suffering for the sake of saving other people. We're bold in mission, putting our reputation, our relationships on the line so that others might be saved. And the message they need to hear is summed up in verse 18. So Jesus the Christ, God's chosen warrior king who rescues his people, voluntarily swapping his perfect record for ours to bring us to God. And now he's resurrected and ruling over all things. Everyone needs to know and believe that. That is our mission. So we can be more bold by being more concerned with what God thinks than by what people think. We can be bold knowing it is our own real story, not a clever argument that we need to be ready to explain. We can be bold knowing it is a good blessing to suffer for God, fulfilling his, mes- his mission. And we can be bold knowing that we are in with the owner, that Jesus who we follow and share in mission has all authority over everything in heaven and earth. P.S. So just to finish with, if this call to be bold in mission leaves you, like it often does me, feeling guilty or inadequate about how timid or frightened you have been, just remember who is writing this letter. Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, his close confidant, who when the going got tough, flatly, aggressively denied even knowing Jesus. Not just once, three times. He'd have, writing this letter, he'd have had to have been thinking about that when he wrote these words, wouldn't he? Peter knew what it was not to be bold in the worst way. And yet he would go on to be one of the boldest and reckons we, by God's grace, can be bold too. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, partnering with us in your mission that everyone may know Jesus and be saved by repenting and believing in him. Uh, please help us to fill ourselves with fear of you, with being, having greater concern for what you think and not want to disappoint you than what people think. Please give us your courage and your boldness as we seek to share Jesus. Please help us to um, be disciplined, work harder, always having an answer ready. And please help us to be bold in taking those opportunities that we pray you give us this very week. In Jesus' name, amen.